Hello and welcome to another episode of Topical with Michael Schaefer. It's not a milestone episode. Last week we had episode 50. This is episode 51. So nothing too special about this week. But I guess what is special is that I'm back from the Edinburgh Fringe Festival back in London. Thank you to everyone who came along to see me at the Edinburgh Fringe. I did 35 shows over 25 days, which is too many shows. Uh, but I had a lot of fun. I uh, performed in an attic for the whole month, which was exciting. And uh, I thank the crowds for turning up. I particularly thank the members of the audience who laughed when I made a joke about being a Jew in an attic and how that's quite triggering for my people. Um, and I am uh, appalled by the Gentiles who got tense at that joke and refused to laugh. It was something that is actually objectively quite funny let's be quite honest with that so thank you to the people who laughed i guess also thank you to the people who didn't laugh all of your feedback is warranted and helpful i'm back in london now i'm off to uh puglia tomorrow in italy for a friend's wedding so i'm going to be taking a week off so i decided uh to just let's get a podcast out today let's do an episode today because let's be honest a lot has happened in the last few days we've lost a titan of a democracy, a human rights champion. Uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin is dead. Uh, he was assass- Oh, he, he was killed in a plane crash. Uh, we're talking about that. He's the guy that tried to overthrow Vladimir Putin, the, uh, the brutal mercenary who tried to overthrow Vladimir Putin, uh, has met his demise. We're we'll chatting about that. Meanwhile, uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk are meant to be fighting each other. Um, but they still haven't fought each other yet, and I'm very upset. I want to find out what's going on with that. We're going to talk about why this fight needs to go ahead, why we need to see these billionaires punching each other in the face. I think the proletariat will really enjoy that. So let's make it happen. And one of the biggest lawsuits of our time is going ahead in the US. Burger King is being sued by a hero, let's be honest, a hero for the people. Burger King is being sued for misleading their customers about the size of their burgers. Now, this could be the biggest lawsuit of our time. Uh, it's about time that these fast food giants were held to account for pretending that their burgers, that their products are bigger than what they are. You know, they call it a Whopper, but it's just, it's a Whopper full of lies. That's what it is. We'll be talking about this lawsuit and what are the chances of it being successful. I think very high if it goes to a jury. Before all that, that's what we're going to be chatting about today. Before all that, though, guys, uh, it's that time of the episode where you get to enjoy the intro music that I paid $200 for uh, last year, and I like to get my money's worth, so I I play it every episode. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. If you don't, feel free to skip the next 30 seconds of your life, Uh, but just know that if you do, uh, it hurts me um, and my soul. So enjoy the next 30 seconds, and I'll be back with the news. One small step for podcast. One giant leap for comedy. We are stripped down and ready to go. I'll never surrender. But I ain't spending any time on it. Please explain. I'm going to. Okay? 
Guys, we lost a titan of uh, one of the great leaders of of the 21st century, a titan of uh, warlords and mercenaries. Uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin is dead now. Uh, it's perhaps the most expected death uh, of all time. Let's be honest, uh, because this was the man who uh, tried to overthrow Vladimir Putin in a military coup uh, about two three months ago. So. Basically, if you need to be caught up on the on the events of the last uh, few months, so uh, Russia invaded Ukraine last year. I'm not sure if you've been keeping it on the news, but um, that happened, and then uh, we all made our Facebook profiles, you know, the yellow and blue Ukraine flag to show our support for that. And to be honest, we thought we'd only have to do that for maybe like a few weeks. We thought that you know, Ukraine would crumble uh, very, very uh, swiftly. And uh, we'd all just, you know, show a bit of support. And then, uh, you know, Ukraine would just become Russia. NATO would be pushed back. And a uh, sovereign state would just fall under the rule of uh, a Russian dictator. And the Soviet Union would kind of start to reform. That's That's what we hoped. And then we could just kind of change our profile pictures back to what they originally were without the filter. Um, uh, unfortunately, that's not, that's not how it uh, eventuated. So now Russia and Ukraine are stuck in this very, very um, long, arduous, awful, awful war. And there's not really much end in sight because um, the West is propping up Ukraine with lots of um, weapons and stuff. And the Russians uh, can't really pull out because that would make them look weak. And uh, Vladimir Putin uh, refused to look weak. And so to save face, he's going to persist with a war that's going to kill uh, tens and thousands of Russian soldiers and, and Ukrainian soldiers and civilians. But, you know, that's 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 kind of what's happened in the last 18 months. So um, basically, we still got to get the, the yellow, blue Ukraine flag in our Twitter bios for, for a while longer. But we thought that there might be an end to this war in sight because we thought we had a, a hero. Uh, a hero who could end the war, and this hero was an unlikely one, let's be honest. Uh, he was a, a Russian mercenary called Yevgeny Prigozhin, who was in charge of this these uh, group of soldiers called the Wagner Group, who are this uh, a group of mercenaries. Now, I'll be honest, I did not think that mercenaries really existed in the 21st century. I know they're big in, like, you know, Lord of the Rings movies and things like that, I did not know that uh, they exist in the 21st century. Basically, the Wagner Group is a bunch of um, soldiers that uh, this man, Yevgeny Prigozhin, leads. And apparently he recruits the soldiers by going to prisons and saying to prisoners there, hey, um, you know how you're stuck in this uh, Siberian gulag for the rest of your life because you you know, said something uh, negative about Vladimir Putin well, um, boy, have I got an offer for you. Why don't you uh, secure your freedom uh, by coming to fight for me and my mercenaries uh, and do the bidding of Vladimir Putin around the world, whether it be in Africa, where we kind of helped overthrow dictatorships in order to uh, get access to mines, to, to get diamonds and gold from there, to send back to... Uh, the fatherland or more recently would you like to come and join us and uh, fight on the front lines of Ukraine 
in this very, very, very bad war. So that's what Yevgeny Prigozhin is. Basically, he's just a mercenary. He's gone around recruiting people from prison. And I got to say, you know, people talk about the prison system and its capacity to reform, its capacity to rehabilitate. You know, people go into prison and they, you know, they join gangs and they become institutionalized. And, you know, Yevgeny Prigozhin was really quite on the, you know, he, he was really on the front lines, wasn't he, of, of helping prisoners secure their freedom and avoid, you know, reoffending uh, and avoid becoming institutionalized and joining a, a violent gang. And instead, he got them out of prison and in meaningful work, specifically uh, committing war crimes, you know, in, in Ukraine and Africa and, and other parts of the world on behalf of of Vladimir Putin, but at an, arms, at an arm's distance so that Putin could always deny uh, knowledge of what these mercenaries were doing in his name and in the interests of, of the Russian Federation. So, look, a lot of prisoners in Australia and are all around the world are, are languish there for many, many years and, and it's, uh, it, it's not like we're sending people to prison to really get rehabilitated. You know, often these prisons are, are quite um, destructive for the persons there, and uh, they don't really offer people the chance to like get their lives back on track. But Yevgeny Prigozhin, you know, was that was that uh, I'm going to say human rights uh, advocate. He he was a man who believed in um, giving people a second chance. He was a man who believed in uh, getting people out of these um, you know dangerous dangerous Siberian gulags where. Uh, they were, you know, breaking up rocks with with picks, and uh, and doing forced labour. He was quite heroic in getting these violent rapists and murderers and, and political dissidents out of there and into uh, military uh, uniforms and a bit of camouflage, uh, so that they could then go and uh, commit war crimes on behalf of Vladimir Putin. So, R.I.P. to a man who who did a lot to secure the freedom of uh, of prisoners. And basically, he had this ramshackle bunch of soldiers um, who seemingly were quite effective at what they would do. They would go around, you know, doing some killings and um, securing mines and overthrowing, you know, uh, governments in Africa and destabilizing uh, democracies. And of course, they were also involved in the war in Ukraine. And after a bit of time, Evgeny Prigozhin decided, look, there's only so much um, human rights stuff I can do with these soldiers in Ukraine. What I'm now going to do is I'm now going to um, focus my human rights advocacy on ending this war. So sure, he profited quite um, significantly from participating in the war and doing the bidding of Vladimir Putin in Ukraine for a period of time, in the Odessa and the Donbass, um, you know, ex executing civilians and shooting people in the back of the head summarily. So he decided, look, that was um, not enough uh, human rights for him. What he then wanted to do was to, he decided that he wanted to end the war. Now, the reason why he wanted to or end the war slash um, overthrow Vladimir Putin is seemingly because of some disagreements between him and some other Russian military officials because the war in Ukraine, it's not going well for really either side. So, you know, the Russians, uh, along with their, you know, Wagner group mercenaries, thought that this would be over in like a few days. Um, but then they didn't realize that um, they're really bad at war. Russians might be the worst at war of any nation. And I say that 
with with respect just because russia it's it's really like proportionate to the amount of uh, soldiers and military capacity they have they seem to underperform the most you know it's to to equate it to like you know you know a premier league team for example it would be like you know manchester city having you know Lionel messi and cristiano ronaldo and mbappe and all you know all these great um weapons in their team but they're not qualifying for champions like that's kind of what the the russian army is they have the nuclear weapons and they have all the the fighter jets and the tanks and everything but for some reason they just can't do well you know in war they haven't really had a good haven't had a good win really since they repelled the nazis in world war ii they just they you know they went into afghanistan they fucked that up um oh they're just they're just very bad at winning wars swiftly it's not what they do well so they've underperformed they've been in a lot of trouble and a lot of tension has been building amongst the the ranks in uh the russian military and a lot of their officials and uh this tension culminated in yevgeny progosian getting so fed up with the um fuck-ups of the russian military and and the lies that uh, they were putting out to the russian public and the way that putin was handling slash mishandling the invasion of ukraine that he decided he's going to turn his mercenaries around and he is going to march on Moscow. And so that is what he did. So he, he got his uh, his army of uh, misfits and criminals um, who had been promised freedom in exchange for uh, killing civilians and he turned them around, put them on their trucks and they, they started a convoy back towards uh, Moscow and they got quite close to Moscow, um, only maybe a couple hundred miles from Moscow uh, on their march back from Ukraine to Moscow, they actually they shot down, I think, some Russian aircraft and killed some Russian soldiers. And it was believed that they were going to start a genuine civil war on the streets of Moscow until all of a sudden it was called off. And it was like, what? What happened here? What's Why has this been called off? And it seemed like a deal had been struck between Vladimir Putin and the leader of the Wagner Group, Yevgeny Prigozhin. And it seemed what happened was all of a sudden the this military coup got called off. Everyone was very excited because we thought, oh my God, there's going to be a coup and Vladimir Putin is going to get overthrown and then the war might end and Yevgeny Prigozhin will have gone from being this uh, war criminal who uh, has spent his entire life uh, committing war crimes and destabilizing countries uh, and killing lots of innocent people and he's going to become a hero because he'll be the guy that ends Putin's reign and ends this awful, awful war. So he would have—he he was going to be the hero that we uh, did not need but deserved, as um, anyone who's watched the Dark Knight trilogy will know. He's basically going to be the Batman of our time, and uh, it wasn't to be. So he struck this deal with Putin, and he ends up uh, going to Belarus, where... Uh, he was promised safe haven because Belarus is an ally of Russia. And he was kind of hanging out there for a while and it seemed like the coup and the coup was off and Russia just went back to its regular military operations in the Ukraine and that war just continued to rage on. Anyway, you fast forward a couple months later, Yevgeny Prigozhin uh, is in Russia, which seems like a bad, a risky place for him to be given the past events with uh, Vladimir Putin. And he boards a private plane with a couple of his uh, top officials 
and they're on a flight to St. Petersburg. Some people claim to uh, to have a meeting with Vladimir Putin. Lo and behold, would you believe it? Now, this is going to shock people, but the plane that Evgeny Prigozhin boards then encounters some uh, difficulties. I would say some technical difficulties whilst in the air. Um, so specifically, it's a minor difficulty, but one of the wings of the plane fell off. Now, typically, planes have two wings and you need them both to be uh, functional. You do need both wings. Um, now, when a wing of a plane falls off, uh, typically that's going to be quite catastrophic. And, and it was in that case. And as a result of this wing falling off, um, the which is not part of the design of the plane, wings... Most planes are built such that the wings don't fall off. Now, the wing on this plane just happened to fall off and, and it plummeted to the ground and everyone on board died, including Evgeny Prigozhin, the man who tried to overthrow Vladimir Putin a couple months ago. Now, it, I think it's fair to say that, look, this is the most predictable death of all time. I think that's fair to say because uh, Vladimir Putin has a history of not wanting people uh, who don't like him to be alive. So, if I mean, if you just look at his entire 20-year reign, if you're an oligarch in Russia, uh, it's a real high-risk, high-reward strategy to be an oligarch in Russia because if you're an oligarch in Russia, it means you've got a lot of money and you get to have uh, boats and you get to have... Uh, a lot of uh, prostitutes and it's a nice time. It's a nice time being an oligarch in Russia. You've got billions and billions of dollars and it's it's fun. That's, that's the reward. But there's also the risk of being an oligarch in Russia, which is that you also might become a target of Vladimir Putin if he thinks that your interests don't align or he thinks he can't count on your loyalty, which is why we often hear about oligarchs uh, being very clumsy, often they're falling out of windows at um, on seven-story buildings. Uh, often they are crashing their cars um, off bridges into lakes. Um, often they are accidentally um, stabbing themselves in the back like fourteen or fifteen times, and and sometimes uh, inhaling uh, poisons. It's it's a oligarchs are very very clumsy people. They seem to be, well, either they're very clumsy and they're accidentally dying, or perhaps Vladimir Putin uh, is um, getting rid of them because he sees them as perhaps a threat to his power and potentially destabilizing. I guess the point is coming out to Evgeny Prigozhin, pretty predictable death because um, Vladimir Putin has killed people for way less than uh, trying to. Uh, overthrow his regime with a military coup and killing Russian soldiers in the process. So pretty predictable death, this one. Um, I I don't think you're going to need an air crash investigation episode on this disaster. I don't think, because usually like if you, my dad watches air crash investigation um, religiously. He's, he's very um, interested in aviation. So I have myself... Um, seen a lot of air crash investigations too because you know he'll have it on the TV and I grew up kind of just seeing all the ways in which planes can crash and typically 
if you watch an episode of Air Crash Investigation, they'll tell you uh, it's usually a confluence of uh, circumstances. So, you know, it's it's very rarely just an issue with the pilot being tired. It's usually like, well, the pilot was tired, but then also like the engine hadn't been checked properly and they hadn't refueled properly. And for some reason, like the altitude weather machine wasn't working correctly. And then uh, one of the stewards had diarrhea and all of these events just kind of like combine and uh, individually they wouldn't lead to a crash, but in combination they lead to this, to the, the outcome where the plane crashes and everyone dies. Now, I don't think they're going to need an investigation for this, for this crash because what happened was um, the plane took off, seemed to be fine. Uh, none of the stewards had diarrhea. It seemed to all be fine. And then uh, uh, it seemed like a, 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 there was an explosion on the plane. And uh, as a result of an explosion on the plane, presumably from a bomb, uh, the wing fell off. Now, as previously discussed uh, on the podcast several minutes ago, um, you, I'm not an aviation engineering expert, but I've seen planes, typically they got the two wings. And um, I've also thrown paper airplanes. And I've tried paper airplanes with two wings and I've tried paper airplanes with one wing. And the two-wing ones, I would say, typically uh, fly a further distance. The single-winged paper airplanes typically take a sharp left and uh, go straight into the ground. Now, that's kind of what happened here to the plane that Evgeny Progosian was on. Bomb goes off, wing falls off, plane hits the ground. So, I don't know, if I'm a, an air crash investigator director, I'm probably not going to pick this up as uh, the, the fodder for an episode because it'll be a very quick episode. It would be like opening credits uh, of 30 seconds and then they'd cut to a Russian man saying, uh, yeah, Putin blew up the plane and then we'd roll the credits and it'll be like a 90 second episode. So there, there wouldn't really be much to unpack. Nonetheless, the, the Russian authorities are investigating the crash, which is very funny that they are investigating the crash because a spokesperson for the Kremlin came out and said to the media, look, it seems like there might have been a bit of sabotage involved. And that's a very funny thing for even the Kremlin to have to admit. So even because normally the Kremlin will just come out and be like, yeah, look, these things happen. You know, sometimes planes crash and sometimes the people on those planes are uh, people who tried to overthrow our government a couple of months ago. Sometimes that happens. It, it's a tremendous and unfortunate coincidence. That's normally what they would say. But just because this is such an, uh, an overt act of extrajudicial murder by the Kremlin, even they have to come in and be like, hey, we don't, we don't, we don't know who it was, but yeah, it does bear the hallmarks of an assassination, doesn't it? You know, when a bomb goes off on a plane carrying some high-ranking... Uh, mercenaries who have previously worked for the Russian government, we accept that looks a bit dodgy. Even we understand the optics of this are not ideal. So the Kremlin has come out, the spokesman has kind of like winked at the camera and said, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's sabotage. And I guess we'll just have to wait and see what the investigation reveals over time. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge if you know what I mean. Now, I, I will say, I know it's like not ideal that, you know, Vladimir Putin is just killing his 
political enemies and the and the people who you know tried to overthrow him a couple months ago but i will say this it does it does keep the country stable and strong i think that's one thing that has to be said about uh, assassinating your political enemies it does keep the country stable and strong because i'm just coming at this from the perspective of australia so in australia you know we're often changing leaders you know we have uh, democratic elections and even in between those elections we often have our prime minister changing because the party in charge thinks that the current leader is shit and will lose the coming election you know we, we that's why we had like you know six prime ministers in like you know four years or whatever it was also the same thing happens in the in the uk where they the Tories have like changed their leader like three or four times. They were like, oh, we tried a woman, that didn't work. We tried another woman, that didn't work. Let's try a brown man in Rishi Sunak and see if he can pull it off. And uh, that's, how you, that, that's how you know how racist, by the way, the UK politics is. They were like, we'll give a brown man a shot, but only if we've exhausted every other white option and also only if he's a billionaire so that we can sell that to, to the whites. But the point is that there's a lot of countries, a lot of democratic countries like Australia, UK, where uh, things are not stable. There's a lot of um, instability because they're changing leaders all the time, and there's all and you know the prime minister comes in, but then they have all these their opponents, their past you know prime ministers sniping at them from afar, and you know talking shit in the media and undermining what they're trying to do. I mean, Malcolm Turnbull, you know, was criticised tremendously for you know, supporting policies like, you know, climate change um, and, you know, other social causes which conflicted with the uh, leadership of the Australian Liberal Party. And so people were like, hey, shut the fuck up, Malcolm. You know, we're trying to we're trying to keep the country stable and here you are, you know, sniping and destabilizing things and destabilizing what we're trying to do. Now, in Russia, you can't do that because if you, if you do that, your plane gets blown up or you know you accidentally drink poison or you fall out of a tall building that's what happens in russia if you do that and it's it's kind of exciting it keeps people on their toes it keeps the nation stable in australia we don't really do that i think it would be fun if just like every now and again we did have a political opponent um suffer some sort of uh gruesome and suspicious demise if just like maybe like once a year, you know, a politician who's been a bit mouthy just accidentally um, falls into a wood chipper. You know, just something like that. They're always lying around. It can happen. So all I'm saying is guys like Malcolm Turnbull, guys like Tony Abbott, uh, you know, Kevin Rudd, Julie Gillard, all these people who have been previous prime ministers and have been very chatty in the media to the point where they, you know, have been very critical of the current, uh, the current leader. Uh, these guys are just lucky they're not in Russia because um, they would all be on very, very uh, short and brief episodes of air crash investigation if they were. Now, the other big conflict that's uh, raging at the moment is between, it's not between uh, Putin and, and his oligarchs and, uh, the, and the Wagner mercenaries the other big conflict that's raging right now is between two men and their stupid stupid egos mark zuckerberg and elon musk 
uh, two of the richest men in the world are you know, publicly like challenging each other to like an MMA fight. And they've been doing this for a few months now. And it hasn't, it hasn't come to fruition yet. Now, the first thing I'll say, say about this is that this just shows how when you're a billionaire, it becomes very boring very quickly. Of course, unless you're in Russia. If you're a billionaire in Russia and you're an oligarch in Russia, um, life is not boring. In fact, you're constantly on edge. You're constantly on tiptoe because you have to have someone uh, taste your food uh, to ensure it's not laced with arsenic. But if you're just a billionaire in, in, a, in America, like Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk, life is so boring. In fact, it's so boring that you actually have to like start a fight. You have to go into a fight club with each other and beat the shit out of each other just so you can finally feel something. That's that's why these two are having a fight because their 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 lives are so mundane now, and they're so used to their the the luxury of of being a billionaire that it doesn't doesn't mean anything anymore. You know, like being out having access to the the wealthiest uh, sex work, the the having access to the the most expensive you know, prostitutes and sex workers that money can buy is no longer satisfying to them. You know, having expensive cars flying into space, it doesn't it doesn't mean anything to them. They don't feel anything anymore because they've been so rich for so long. So only, you know, getting punched in the face and having and choking someone out, that's that's the only thing that now gives them any adrenaline whatsoever. And eventually that will wear off too, but but for now, that's the new thing that gives them a bit of a kick. So they've challenged each other to a fight. Now, there's been a bit of back and forth about, you know, when's the fight going to take place? Where's it going to be? You know, Zuckerberg was like, I'm ready to roll. Let's do it on this date right here, right now. We'll do it in like an octagon with the UFC or something. And then Musk was like, no, that date, that date doesn't work for me um, because I'm busy tweeting about um, transgender people. Um, that day and I'm just stoking up hatred towards them on my big platform so I, I don't have time that day but you know I'm going to set up with a fight in like Italy for some reason I'm going to get the Italian gov- government on board we'll make it a big spectacle and it, basically it, it hasn't really come to fruition yet but we hope it does we really hope it does because I, I don't think there's anything that people would love more in the world than to see just two billionaires two very uh, let's be honest disliked Billionaires. I mean, Zuckerberg is disliked because, you know, he's, I mean, people have kind of forgotten about it, but, you know, basically he's undermined democracy for years on his platform. Um, you know, he's allowed conspiracy theories and Nazis to, to flourish on Facebook. Uh, of course, uh, Elon Musk has also been criticized and is quite disliked as well, just because of being one of those weird red pill guys who, you know, pretends to be a friend of the working class despite the fact that uh he's clearly just trying to uh, make as much money as possible at the expense of the people he employs both very very disliked men basically both both men could get punched in the face and there'd be a huge market to see that so they're both uh getting ready for this their fight this fight hopefully it's a fight to the death i can only hope it is um you know, hopefully, you know, it's like, you know, that scene in um, Django Unchained where the, the two uh, uh, slaves are fighting each other. Hopefully, it's like that where it's like, okay, you, you, get, you finish off the other one with a hammer. 
Hopefully that's what happens. I think people would tune in if those were the, those were the stakes. That's how you get eyeballs. And these guys are basically these guys are all about eyeballs. I think that you know basically they should just stream the platform. They should film it, and then the 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 prize is that the replay gets put on the platform owned by the winner, and they get the eyeballs on their platform. So if Elon Musk wins, he gets to play the replay in full on, on Twitter slash X and he gets to show the footage of him defeating Musk with a hammer and uh, defeating Zuckerberg with a hammer and vice versa you know if Zuckerberg wins um, he gets to show the replay on Facebook the full replay and he gets to show the replay of him uh, slowly choking out Elon Musk until the light leaves his eyes and either way people are going to be watching this it's going to be It'll be the most highly viewed fight in history. I quite like this. I think this is progress for society to have the billionaires fighting each other. Because if you remember, if you go back to, you know, ancient Rome, we've all seen Gladiator. Uh, Russell Crowe was a slave. And basically, if you look at ancient Rome, the fights were between the slaves and they were watched by the bourgeoisie, predominantly like the rich, the, you know, the emperor would come along and, and watch from his little cocoon and then he would have the thumbs up or the thumbs down if the people lived or people died and you know so back in the day there was this tremendous wealth inequality where basically rich people would you know pay essentially to go and watch poor people fight to the death and sometimes get devoured by lions and other animals from the african desert in the process now we've really come full circle because now in the 21st century what progress we've made is is that now instead of doing that, now it's um, poor people tuning in to watch the richest people fight each other. Like that's, uh, the poor people's lives are so exciting now. We get to watch these two billionaires um, hopefully fight to the death, but at the very least they get to fight and, and punch each other up a little bit and that'll be nice to see these two rich men uh, get black eyes because their lives are so boring and mundane that, Taking a hit to the face is the only time they can get an erection. So I think that's exciting. I think that's progress for the world. I hope the fight happens. And uh, I hope that, you know, at some point in the fight, uh, a line is released. And uh, hopefully both are devoured. But perhaps even if it's just one, I would say, well, that's still a win for for the masses. We all get to have a, a great day tuning in uh, to watch a billionaire... Uh, die i think that's i think that's progress i think that's great i really hope that the um venue that elon musk is uh, looking at in italy is literally the coliseum wouldn't it shock me if he's looking at the coliseum there'd be a lot of it'd be a very poetic um place to do it it would be quite metaphorical to you know have that place come full circle from being the place where the peasants and the slaves would fight each other to the death to now seeing the place where the, the richest people in the world um, kill each other. I think that'd be beautiful. Let's throw in Bezos. Let's throw in uh, Warren Buffett. Let's throw in Trump. Let's make it like a Royal Rumble of billionaires. And, you know, the winner uh, gets all their money. Let's just do it. Let's just make it like that. The winner gets all the money and uh, they get the rights to stream it on whatever platform they want. I think that's the way to do it. Um, I, think that's, I think that's a win for society overall. Speaking of wins for society, this could be the most important 
lawsuit, uh, I'd say, well, certainly say of my time, of my time, certainly of the 21st century, it's it's probably bigger than, this is bigger than Roe v. Wade, this is bigger than any of, than Marbo, this is bigger than any of the civil rights cases in, in US history. I mean, this is huge. So um, over in the US, Burger King is being sued because they apparently misled their customers as to how big the beef patty was in their burger. Now, it is about time that someone, you know, went for the king. It's about time that we tried to overthrow the monarchy that is Burger King because, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, it's been a tough, you know, couple of years for monarchy. So, you know, firstly, you know, the queen died, you know, so that was bad for the British monarchy. Um, and now over in the US, the, the Burger King monarchy is now under threat from this major lawsuit by, let's be honest, being brought by a hero. Let's, let's be honest. Um, I can only presume that, I, I don't know who the plaintiff is in this case, but I can only presume it's just a guy who got a Deliveroo uh, burger at, you know, three o'clock in the morning after a huge night out. Um, you know, he'd gone out to a nightclub. He was wearing his A's. He was wearing, you know, his Tarakash shirt. And he was out there and he was very confident he was going to meet a lady and have sex that night. And he was wearing his Lynx Africa perfume slash cologne slash deodorant. And he was like, this is going to be the greatest time of my life. Uh, I've had uh, 18 uh, Red Bulls and as many vodka lime sodas. I'm going to go out with my my mates and we're going to pull chicks and they turn up at the club and they got rejected immediately because they were all vomiting um over the bounce of shoes and then as a result they ended up just going to the pokies losing a lot of money and he finds himself at home at three o'clock um with an erection that he can't really do much with and uh hungry because he's been out all night drinking so he orders a burger king he orders a burger from his favorite his favorite restaurant burger king it arrives, he opens the, opens the wrapping. He's so excited for this satisfying burger that's going to, you know, save the night for him, let's be honest. And he opens it up and the, the patty looks small. It's not a Whopper, you know, it's not a Whopper. It's, you know, instead of meat being there, all he sees is lies and deceit between these patties because in the advertisements he's seen, you know, the beef patty is always overhanging the outside of the buns it's so big that it's hanging outside of the buns and in this case it's not it's 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 not overhanging it's ensconced within the buns so it's clearly not as big as what he was told it would be he eats it reluctantly of course i mean obviously he takes photos of it first for evidence but then he eats it reluctantly and the next day he wakes up very hungover but also determined with a fire in his belly also with a lot of um, vomit in his belly that will soon come up. But he's got a fire and vomit in his belly and he's like, you know what? I'm going to make something of my life. I am going to be the hero that the West needs. I'm going to be the Evgeny Prigozhin of the West. I am going to take down the king. And so he starts, he initiates his lawsuit against Burger King and says, look, hey, you guys say the, the, the patty's big and it's not. It's not. And Burger King is like, well, we'll see you in court. We'll throw all the money we have at this. 
And a judge in the U.S. has just said that Burger King has to fight. That Burger King tried to get the claim thrown out, but the judge said no. This is an important case. This man has a very, very strong case to make on behalf of himself, on behalf of consumers, on behalf of the world. Let's be honest. And as a result, the judge in the U.S. said this case must go ahead. Not only that, it's it's going to be tried by jury. Imagine that. It's going to be tried by jury. And I'll be honest, I can't see how this guy can lose if this is a jury trial. Because uh, if this is a jury trial, like you're going to have so much sympathy for this man on the jury. I mean, it's going to be the biggest award of damages in the history of lawsuits. We're talking like trillions and trillions of dollars being being handed down here for for as you know compensation and as damages for suffering and also as punitive to send a message to Burger King that you can't do this. You can't get people's hopes up that the meat is going to be hanging over the buns and then give them a burger at three o'clock in the morning that doesn't save their night and help them eat their feelings after not being able to have sex. So I think this man's going to have a lot of sympathy on the jury. I think he's going to win easily. Uh, I can't imagine uh, Burger King being able to, you know, being able to get away with this. If they're being tried by, uh, let's be honest, their, their own customers, uh, they're, let's be honest, they're fucked. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm trained in the law. I would never give out legal advice, but I can confidently say that this man, that this is a slam dunk of a case and that this man is going to win and he is the hero that we need. The only way that he could not win this case, uh, the only way he could not win this case is if uh, he is on a plane and uh, an explosion happens on the plane and the wing falls off. That's really, if, I were, if you're Burger King, that's really all you've got here. That's your only play here. You got to take this man out. Um, you got to take this man out the way that the Kremlin took out Prigozhin. That is the only way you can avoid paying trillions of dollars worth of damages. So if I were this man, I'd be avoiding planes until this case is over. I, I would be getting someone to taste my food. I'd be staying uh, on the ground floor of every hotel that I'm in. And uh, I certainly wouldn't be walking around near any wood chippers. That has been today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, check me out uh, live. i got some shows coming up. I'm in Zurich on the 22nd of September, London, the 28th of September, back in Australia for a few shows in Frank's on the 14th of October, Nary War on the 21st of October, and Melbourne's Comedy Republic on the 28th of October, Munich and Paris. going to be putting on some shows there as well. Head to my website, michaelshafer.com. For the details and all of that, look at the description of this episode. You'll find all the links there. I've also got a company special on YouTube that's not bad either, so check that out too. You guys have been a lot of fun to talk to. I hope you've had a real kick out of this. I'm flying to Puglia tomorrow in Italy, and I truly hope that there are no uh, Russian mercenaries on that plane. Uh, but if that plane goes down in a fiery crash, at least I will know that... I live my life to the fullest by recording 51 episodes of my podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Good night. And hopefully, I'll see you next week.